All right, folks, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 7. John chapter 7, we're going to be focusing on verses 20 through 31 today. Now, I want to remind you, our purpose in going through John is to get to know Jesus, to, to understand who Jesus is, to understand how he acts towards people, to understand what he says about himself, what he does. And, and that's John's purpose here. But John also has another purpose that kind of comes out of this study when we look at Jesus. John is also revealing to us our humanity, the things that we struggle with. And he's revealing to us and what's happening in the world the whole issue of unbelief. I think everybody here is confronted with that, right? You're, you're confronted on a daily basis with the reality that most of our world doesn't believe in Jesus. Does everybody understand that? I mean, if you just need to wake up maybe at work and see that not everybody believes in Jesus. Not everybody cares. Jesus isn't important. Christmas is about St. Nicholas, Santa Claus, company parties, family gatherings, Christmas ham, trees. Maybe we'll have snow on Christmas, right? Which, by the way, that's a Pennsylvania thing. I'm from South Carolina. If you got snow on Christmas, things were terrible. Okay? White Christmas, you sang the song, but it wasn't about you. Okay? But unbelief. Now, here's the problem. The problem is for believers, whenever we meet somebody who says they don't believe, we kind of just lump them all in one group. Unbelievers. But it's a little bit more complex than that. Because even among unbelievers, their struggle with who Jesus is is at a different level. And they respond in different ways. And what we're going to see in our passage today, when we look at verses 20 to 31, we're going to see the crowd. Again, remember I told you there's three groups here. There's the followers, there's the crowd, there's the religious authorities who want to get rid of him. We're going to focus on the crowd today because they're not quite sure about Jesus. And, and so what they're wrestling with is, who is this guy? Can we believe him? And what you're going to see is that some of the reactions aren't good. And to be honest with you, it's typical of what we see today in our own society. It's typical of what has happened since Jesus came and will happen until he comes again. So what we're going to look at today is the dynamics of unbelief. Now, why do we need to know that? Because at some point, you're going to be confronted with the reality of unbelief if you're a believer in Jesus. Why? Because either it's going to be a family member, someone you care for that's a dear friend, somebody that you work with who just won't believe. And it will devastate you. And you need to understand what's going on. And so we see it here in this passage. We're going to start with verse 20. And we're going to go through verse 31. 
Now remember, in verse 19, last week we looked at Jesus told them that they didn't keep the law, and then he makes the statement that, really a question, why do you seek to kill me? He's telling the crowd this. Why do you seek to kill me? Well, verse 20 gives you the reaction of the crowd. Look with me at verse 20. The people answered him and said, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered and said to them, I did one work, and you all marveled. Moses therefore gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath, so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Now some of them from Jerusalem said, Is this not he whom they seek to kill? But look, he speaks boldly, and they say nothing to him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is truly the Christ? However, we know where this man is from. But when the Christ comes, no one knows where he is from. Then Jesus cried out as he taught in the temple, saying, You both know me, and you know where I am from. And I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. But I know him, for I am from him, and he sent me. Therefore they sought to take him, but no one laid, hand, laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. And many of the people believed in him. And when the Christ comes, will he do more signs than these which this man has done? All right, so we're going to break it up into two sections here, folks. It's kind of broken up into two sections. We're going to talk about his works. That's one, the first section. We're going to talk about their reaction to his works. And then we're going to talk about his re the reaction to his origins. Where exactly did he come from? Now, from these two sections, we're going to see the dynamics of unbelief. We're going to see from the various reactions of the crowd, and they're different, but we're going to see the dynamics of why people struggle with who Jesus is, why they don't believe. And hopefully that'll help us to understand and help us to grasp as we are trying to share with them about Jesus. So notice with me, verse 20. It's a reaction to what Jesus says. He says to them, you guys don't keep the law. Why are you trying to kill me? Verse 19. When it comes to verse 20, they say, you have a demon. Who's trying to kill you? Now, you have a demon. If I translate that into Clearfield County talking in 2021, it's translated, you're crazy. You're nuts. Or better yet, you're a piece of work. Isn't that what we say in our area here? That's what's going on here. So what's going on? Here's the first thing I want you to see about the dynamics of unbelief. There's an effort to delegitimize Jesus. 
There's an effort to delegitimize Jesus. What's going on here? Jesus raises an issue. He, he brings up the reality of who he is and why he's there, and then he talks about the reality of what he's doing, and he points out to them that Moses gave them the law, but they're not willing to even keep the law. So rather than dealing with what Jesus is bringing up, the point, we see this a lot of times in argument, just turn on the news, you see it all the time. No matter what side you're on, somebody will bring up a point. Rather than addressing the point, they go right to the jugular and make an accusation against the person who's saying it. So here Jesus is saying, you're not keeping the law that Moses gave you. You have a demon. They're trying to delegitimize him. They don't want to deal with the facts. Because at that moment... The reality of who Jesus is becomes inconvenient. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's an inconvenient thing that they have to deal with. So rather than just deal with it, they are seeking a way to delegitimize him. You ever talk to somebody who says they don't believe? Typically when I talk to somebody, and I talk to a lot of different people, they'll go to the internet and raise an issue that they saw on the internet with me. And there are thousands of places that you can go on the internet who will raise issues. The whole purpose in doing that is to delegitimize who Jesus is. Is to delegitimize the reality of Christ. And that's what's going on here. That's the first thing we see here. Here's the second thing that, see, that happens here. Jesus in responding to that, look at what he says in verse 21. I did one work, and you all marveled. Moses, therefore, gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. Now, what's he talking about, I did one work? He's talking about what he did in chapter 5. If you go back to chapter 5, chapter 5, he's in Jerusalem. He's with his disciples. What do they do? He's going by the Pool of Siloam where there's, remember, all the people who are gathered because they listen to a local myth that when the water's stirred, first one in gets healed. Jesus is going past all of those people who are there, who are sick, who are invalid, who are, who are waiting to get into the water when it stirs. And he looks at one guy. God didn't even ask him to be healed. Jesus says, get up, take your mat, and walk. And guess what? In chapter 5, the guy did that. Got up, took his mat, and walked. He's then confronted by the Jewish authorities. What are you doing carrying your mat on the Sabbath? That you're breaking the Sabbath. And the guy says, well, the guy who healed me told me to do this. Who told you to do that? Remember, he didn't know who it was. Jesus then came and talked to him. And the guy does what? He goes back to the authorities and says, Jesus healed me. And for them, it was a terrible thing to heal somebody on the Sabbath. Now, Jesus is saying to them, look, I do one work and you marvel. But Moses told you to circumcise, and they would circumcise on the seventh day or the eighth day, and if that fell on the Sabbath, guess what? They would still do the circumcision. 
you do circumcision, but you get all upset about me healing somebody, making them well on the Sabbath. Now, here's the point I want you to see about unbelief. Unbelief operates on a double standard. Unbelief operates on a double standard. What do you mean a double standard, George? Unbelief, the person who is not wanting to believe, the person who is choosing not to believe in Jesus, and he raises an issue that he has a problem with, the problem is, is if you look at the issue that he's raising, typically he's okay with that same issue in another area. So it's okay in this area over here, but when it comes to Jesus, it's not okay. It's a double standard. We understand that because we all operate by double standards, don't we? Just think about the person that you're critical of sometimes about what they're doing. Oh, I can't believe they did that. And then your wife says to you, yeah, but you do that too. Oh, just be quiet. We don't like to hear that. Why? Because we've got a double standard going on. We operate by double standards. Unbelief operates by a double standard. Why? Because here's the third point I want you to see. It gives priority to certain things over equally important things. It gives priority to certain things over equally important things. Now, let's just stop for a moment. I, I think you understand, okay? Here they are. He's raising an issue. You guys circumcise your male children, your boys. If it's on the Sabbath, you'll do that because it's important. Why? Because you were told to do that all the way from Abraham. You were told to do that. Moses reiterated. It's in the law. You were told to do that. And everybody would be like, yeah, that's right. For your identity with the nation. But here comes somebody who's sick. And in some of the cases that we're going to see, if you read some of the Gospels, it's people who have been suffering for years, decades, for their lives. And Jesus comes along and he makes them whole a whole person, and they are praising God. Most of them are praising God for what has happened, being born blind and being made to see, giving glory to God. And, and you're saying, well, that's wrong. What Jesus is pointing out here is, is that they're giving priority to certain things over other things. And to be honest with you, sometimes the other things are even more important, aren't they? Do you know what I'm saying? Being able to say, like Paul said, circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin, that was a spiritual pride issue with him, that he was circumcised on the right day. Obviously, there were other kids who weren't circumcised on the right day, but he could say that he was circumcised on the right day. That's obviously not that big of a deal, but it was to them. But being made whole? Shows you where their hearts are at. 
So they operate on this double standard and they give priority to things that are really fitting with what fits with them. And let's be honest, God doesn't sometimes work the way we want him to work, does he? It's almost like the Jewish leaders, are, you know, I can almost hear the argument among themselves, well, you know, if he really was from God, God would know you don't heal on the Sabbath. Really? God does what he wants to do. So this is what we see is happening here. And, and why is this happening? So Jesus reveals why this is happening, okay? And this is really at the heart of what's going on with unbelief. Look with me at verse 24. He says this, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Here's what's going on. It bases its judgment on, super, on the superficial rather than what's right. It's all about how things appear rather than what's right. So it's almost like they're saying, well, you know what, Jesus, they could suffer one more day and be healed on the right day rather than on the day that's holy. So that the appearance of things looks good. rather than doing what is the right thing. And I think that's sometimes what we miss in our society and in our world, and sometimes especially in the church, is that we're so worried about appearance rather than doing what's right, what is righteous. And unbelief is there. Unbelief is more worried about appearance and so forth because unbelief, let's be honest, at the heart, unbelief is only focused on Self. And to be honest with you, God interrupts self. Happened just this week with me. Reading his word, studying, praying, and God brings up an issue. I don't want to look at that right now, Lord. It's there. It's your character. It's your issue. Address it. What's the right thing to do? Hear him? Or be superficial? And worry more about how we look? And making sure that we look like we're all okay, right? But God says, no, this is what needs to be done. See, we all wrestle, don't we? So here, here's what happens. So I think it's interesting. At the beginning, when they're trying to delegitimize him, they say, you have a demon. Who's trying to kill you? Then you come over to verse 25, and some of the people from Jerusalem are like, hey, isn't this the guy they're trying to kill? Kind of tells you it's a mixed group there. There's people from all over Judah and all over uh, Galilee and other pilgrims who are there for the feast. 
Some of them know what's going on, some of them don't. And the ones who do know what's going on, hey, isn't this the guy they're trying to kill? But he's not from here. We know where he's from. So there's now the whole discussion of his origin. Who is this guy? And so this is what I want you to see with me. Look at verse 25 and 26. Here's what we see happening now, is that some of them from Jerusalem said, is this not he whom they seek to to kill? But look, he speaks boldly, and they say nothing to him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is truly the Christ? Here's what's going on. Unbelief wrestles with the reality of who Jesus is. You can't get away from him. You can't get away from him. The reality is he's always there. I've, I've met people who've tried to run from him. And when you talk to them and they say, I've tried running, but he was always there. He was always hounding me. I like that. They, they use that word a lot. Hounding me. God pursues them. And so they're wrestling. They're wrestling with who he is. They're wrestling with the reality of who Jesus is. They're like, yeah, this is the guy they're wanting to kill. But wait a minute now. Could this be the Christ? Christ is another, it's the Greek word for Messiah. Messiah. Is this the Christ? They're trying to wrestle with who he is. And, and I'll be honest with you folks. I think sometimes we need to be patient with people in our lives who don't know Jesus, who don't express any kind of belief, who wrestle with unbelief. I think we need to be patient with them because they got to wrestle. We've already seen that they're, they're wrestling with all these other things. They're trying to delegitimize him. They're, putting, they're operating by double standards and everything. And so God somehow has to break through to them. But isn't that what it is when we share? It's not you and your words that you're expressing that brings somebody to salvation, although you are the vehicle by which you communicate what God is saying. It's his spirit who what? Opens their eyes so that they understand and believe. So unbelief wrestles with who Jesus is. Here's, here's the next thing I want you to see. Look at verse 27 and 29. These guys are talking about Jesus now, about where he's from. Look at what they say. However, we know where this man is from. They would know Jesus is from Nazareth, from Galilee. We know where this man is from, but when the Christ comes, no one knows where he is from. So it was a common thought, a common belief, even though they knew that Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, it was pretty much the common thinking of the Jews in that day that when the Messiah come, nobody would know where he's from. Like he would just show up. Where did he come from? I don't know. And that's how they operated. That's what, it's, but hey, we know where this guy, he, he, can't you tell by his accent? He's from Nazareth. Really? Remember one of the other disciples, can anything good come from there? So here, here's what I want you to see. The second thing I want you to see here is, is that unbelief only operates what, on what it is personally known. 
only operates on what is personally known. They only operate from their frame of reference. Okay. I think I can help you understand. All right, so here's what we believe. And we're celebrating it this time of year, right? We believe that the Spirit of God moved upon a virgin maiden about 14 years of age in Judea, Galilee, and Israel at that time. Moved upon her and she conceived a child. Not just any child, but a special child. A God child. Having never known a man that she gave birth to that child who would be born the Savior. That child would lead a perfect life. Listen, folks, think about it. Perfect. No mistakes, no sin, the perfect child. Isn't that what we all want as a parent, a perfect child? But there was a perfect child. That child taught and told us about Jesus told us about the Lord, told us about himself, Jesus, told us about the way to get to heaven, that ch child would then be taken, beaten, put on a cross, die a criminal's death, be buried in the grave on the third day, rise again, and a few weeks later ascend into heaven, promising us that we would have the Holy Spirit who now indwells in our hearts and we wait for the day in which he will come back and conquer everything and set everything right. Isn't that what we believe? Now, you're sitting over a burger with your buddy and you tell him that's what you believe. He doesn't believe anything. How does he react? Are you for real? I mean, I had literally had someone tell me, you mean to tell me you believe that your stuff, the stuff that you've done wrong, the stuff that you have done, all the bad stuff in your life is taken care of because some guy died on a cross? Are you nuts? I've had somebody tell me that. And you know what? From the world's perspective, this is what Paul says in Corinthians, the cross to the world is what? Foolishness. Foolishness. Why? Because unbelief, listen to me folks, unbelief operates on what is personally known. They're only going to respond to you based upon what they personally know. Unless God opens their eyes, they're not going to see it. Isn't that what we experience every day in our lives? So they're like, who is this guy? We, we know where he's from. I mean, seriously, you think he's the Christ? I don't know. I don't think so. Well, here's what else happens. Usually what happens is there's a reaction. So notice what Jesus does. Notice with me 
if we continue on, verse 28, you both know me and you know where I'm from and I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know, but I know him for I am from him and he sent me. Now look at how they react. Therefore they sought to take him, but no one laid hands on him because his hour had not yet come. Something in what Jesus said ticked them off. What do you mean it ticked them off? When it says they want to lay hands on him, literally they're like wanting to grab him, mob rules, and deal with him. Not a good situation. Why? Because he keeps pushing the issue with them. And at some point they react. So here's what I want you to see. While unbelief reacts, it cannot overrule God's plan. It's interesting. I remember years ago, remember the Jesus film? We got that mailed to us in the mail. Remember that? It came VHS tape. For those of you who don't know what a VHS is, it was a little black thing you put in a box and you watched it on TV. You know, it's not this, that's before streaming, okay? And so I remember there was a campaign where they mailed around the Jesus film was based on the Gospel of Luke. And it was one of those situations where the crowd is trying to grab Jesus. And, and, it, and I, I can imagine the director trying to put that into a visual because how do you put it in a visual? Here's the crowd. They're angry. They want to throw him over a cliff. And Jesus just kind of walks right through them. How's that possible? They let him do that. Why? Because it wasn't God's plan for him to die at that point had to die later, a specific death, on a specific day, for a specific reason. And while people react, you can't overrule God's plan. You can't overrule God's plan. I have, I have, I've met people through the years who have told me that when they were first presented with the gospel, they reacted in a negative way. But God wouldn't leave them alone. Not because somebody came to them, the same person kept hounding them. Maybe they did, but, but because God kept working in their life to the point that at some point, guess what? They turned to Jesus. So reactions from unbelievers is natural. It's natural. Think about it. What if you kept constantly being hounded by somebody who's a Dallas Cowboys fan? And they keep coming to you, telling you how awesome, how awesome, and if you were a Dallas fan, everything would be great. I don't think things are going great for them this season, right? Okay. But they say, wow! After a while, you just are like fed up with it, and you guess what? You're like, you come with your Steelers shirt on, I am not moving. And you're reacting. We, we understand that. It's a human reaction, Right? A human reaction. 
But here's the wonderful thing, because that's verse 30. While unbelief reacts, it cannot overrule God's plan. Here's what it tells us, though, because this is the hope we have. Because in that crowd, not everybody's reacting. Here's what verse 31 says. And many of the people believed in him. Isn't that awesome? It said, when the Christ comes, will he do more signs than these which this man has done? They're basically saying, look, I believe because, man, he's shown himself to be the one. When you came to Jesus at whatever point in your life, for me, it was a 19-year-old freshman engineering student. When I came to Jesus and I, I read this very gospel, at the end of that, I was on my knees and I said, Jesus, I just want to follow you. Here's my life. Come into my life and save me. Because I understand now. See, here's the thing. While unbelief is out there, and it's natural, let's just, okay, unbelief is natural for a natural man. God still breaks through. And some people realize who he is, and guess what? They believe. So here's the point. There are some who grasp the reality of who Jesus is. There are some who grasp the reality. They realize this isn't just some guy from Nazareth. He is who he says he is. And so they believe. Listen, folks, you're going to see this reiterated when you read through the scripture over and over. It is not praying a prayer that saves you, although praying a prayer could be an expression of that faith. It is not just simply believing a set of doctrine, it's grasping a person. And the reality of that person. Who's that person? Jesus. And realizing you are who you say you are. And here's my life. I'll follow you. And you say like Peter, because we saw it already. Where shall we go, Lord? You have the words of life. And so you commit to follow him. Okay, so what do we do with this? It's about faith. It's about the issue of faith. When you see unbelief, what is going on there? It's not faith. For whatever reasons, and they have multiple reasons why. And let's just grasp that. They have multiple reasons why. You talk to anybody. I talk to people all the time. They have different reasons why they don't believe. It's not all the same one. We can't cookie cut everybody. Just like you can't cookie cut Christians, right? 
can't cookie cut unbelievers. They all have different reasons. Well, God wasn't there for me in this issue. Or I decided I didn't believe because of this issue. And so they left. So it's about faith. Listen, it's about when you have somebody who doesn't believe, you have to pray. You have to say, God, whatever the issue is, open their eyes so that they see you. And embrace you. But for you, hopefully you have come to that place and you realize who he is, so you have to keep going back to the same thing all the time. Lord, you are who you say you are. Here I am. Show me the way. Show me what you want me to do. And I'll do it. I hope that's where you're at. Let me pray for you.